0: Behind the mild-mannered alter ego of our everyday lives is a superhero waiting to break free. Released from the chains of our doubts and fears and the stress and worries of everyday life, we were intended to live powerful lives of confidence, love, and clear purpose. The kind of life that can only come from the God of the universe who created us all. Perfectly balanced in our responsibilities and priorities, lives that seek God first and follow His command, righting wrongs and pardoning the ones responsible for the brokenness in our past, and sharing the restoration and freedom in Christ, we've been given to a dying world. The time has come to become who we were meant to be and experience the kind of life change that can only come from Power Living.
1: Well, happy Father's Day, everybody. Um, I want to tell you, there is nothing easy, there is nothing easy about being a good father. There's nothing easy about being a balanced father. There's so many pressures. The pressure of your career, of doing your very best in that career and rising up in that career and all the while, Being there for your children, being there for the important moments of the life and their everyday life and meeting their needs and being there for your wife and loving your wife the way you need to love your wife and then taking care of all the other responsibilities. I mean, it is an amazing job. And being a good father, being a balanced father, has got to be one of the greatest difficulties of all time, but one of the greatest rewarding lives that anybody could ever have. There can't be anything more rewarding, at least for a man, there can't be anything more rewarding than to be a dad. Except maybe being a granddad. Maybe that, maybe that would, would trump it. For all the guys that are here this morning... I want to say thank you. Thank you for being a godly man. Thank you for striving to be the best husband that you can be, the best dad that you can be. Thank you for giving all of yourself to taking care of your family, loving God with all your heart, doing your best in your career. Yay, God, for you today. And ladies, why don't we applaud these guys? Amen. How many of you... How many of you in this room have ever been on a mission trip before? Would you raise your hand? At any time in your life, you've ever been on a mission trip. Okay. All right, many in the room. Now, how many of you in this room have been on a mission trip to India with Sugar Creek Baptist Church? Would you stand right now? All over the auditorium, if you've been on a mission trip to India with Sugar Creek Baptist Church, would you stand? We have people across our seven, you may be seated, we have people across our seven services that have been to India with Sugar Creek and I point this out today for this reason. Sugar Creek has done an amazing job in ministry in India, in uh, medical missions and also in training and developing pastors that are there in many of these small churches, but also in Delhi, We have had the opportunity to be a part of over 300 new church plants, 300 churches because of our presence there in Delhi, talking to people one-on-one, seeing people one after another come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and then training the pastors who God raises up to lead those churches. And over the course of these years, we've done such an amazing job that they've said to us, we got this now. You can take on a new assignment, and the International Mission Board has given to Sugar Creek a new new assignment to Mumbai, and that's going to be now one of the two focuses that we have there. Now, the the incredible thing is that in the process of being there and being a part of these new church plants, we've had the opportunity to get to know an amazing church planting team, husband-wife team. We had the opportunity, some of us, to be able to meet this team not that long ago. And when we had the chance to meet them and just talk with them, get to know them a little bit better, a question was asked, How did you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? It was the answer of the guy and what happened in his life that stunned me. This guy in his early 20s was a drug addict. This guy in his early 20s was a member of a very violent gang who harassed and terrorized so many people in that region. And one of the families that they terrorized was a Christian family. But this Christian family responded to this guy totally different than anyone else. There was not retaliation. There was not hatred back. And in fact, this Christian family responded back to this guy, sought him out, and responded to him in love. He was stunned by it. And even to the point that they forgave him of the things that he had done to this family. He could, hard to believe this. He had never seen anything like this in his life. And he asked them, what is wrong with you? Why do you respond this way? And they told him how they had come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and how he had changed their life. And as a result, then they respond to other people differently. And over time, this guy came to know Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. His whole life was totally altered. Who could have ever believed that a drug addict, 20-something-year-old young man who was a gang member of a terrible gang would become one of the greatest church planters that India has ever had it is called the power of forgiveness it is called the power of pardoning others and it is that very thing I want to talk to you about today we're in a series entitled power living we're learning we don't have to live in timidity and fear God intends for us to live in power and in fact, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. It takes a powerful person to live in self-control. It takes a powerful person to live in love when there is hatred all around them. But God has called us to be someone beyond what other people have experienced because we have the power of God resident in our life. And God has said, I've called you to something higher, something deeper, something more powerful in your life, and we're exploring that in this series together. There's more than four elements to power living, but we only have time for four, and so we've already looked at what it means to live in balance, to live a balanced Christian life. We've seen the power of obeying God last week, and this morning I want to talk to you about the power of of pardoning other people you and I are never more like God we are never more like God than in those moments that we are forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it that is more than any other time the time we are demonstrating God and so I'm asking you the question today who is it in your life Who is it in your life that that you have a sense of anger toward? uh, They they offended you. They hurt you. They wounded you. We're not minimizing the wound. Who is it in your life that you are struggling with? You see their face, don't you? you? You see their name. And I'm asking you today, would you open up your heart to see what God could do to bring forgiveness in your heart to that person let's pray father across this worship center and across the seven services of sugar creek this weekend father we're normal everyday people and we experience bumps and bruises from other people we experience hurts and wounds from other people and sometimes they mean to wound us and other times they don't even know they did But, God, we go through the same thing others go through of a sense of pain, of hurt, of wound, and anger. And sometimes it escalates to bitterness in our heart. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us get to the other side today. You would show us how important it is that we get to the other side today, that we could begin to experience the power of, of pardoning others in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There is damage that comes to us when we have an unforgiving spirit. An unforgiving spirit chains us and steals away our power. I understand there are many in this room more than likely who are struggling with a pain, a wound, a hurt that has been inflicted by someone else. Maybe they, maybe they knifed you in the back. Maybe they slandered your name. Maybe they said things about you or they did things to you. And maybe they knew exactly what they were doing or maybe they didn't. But whichever it is, it brought a deep pain to you, a deep wound to you. They disappointed you. They disregarded you. They treated you as as, uh, worthless. And now you're struggling in your heart toward that individual. Let me just warn you, there are some real consequences to giving in to bitterness. There are physical consequences that we experience when we give in to a bitterness in our heart towards someone else. There is now concrete evidence of a direct connection between sustained bitterness and high blood pressure, ulcers, headaches, insomnia. And in fact, this week, to my amazement, I discovered that there has now become a direct correlation between bitterness and hatred and some forms of cancer. That blew my mind, seriously. And In fact, there are so many diseases that you and I experience that are given root because of a deep-seated bitterness and resentment and anger in our heart. It is called emotionally induced illnesses. This is not an imagined illness, these are real illnesses. They come because of a deep-seated emotion inside of us that we have given ground to that have then began to weaken our immune system. We never realize just how connected our body, our emotions, everything is. And when we give ground to these kinds of deep-seated emotions... They actually began to weaken our body and open us up to diseases and illnesses we would have never had had we not given ground to the emotion. I'm just telling you that there is is something that is coming. The more you give ground to bitterness and anger in your heart, the more you will see the deterioration of your health because we are intertwined, all the aspects of our life. But there is also an emotional consequence to giving ground to anger. There is also a mental consequence. There is one particular uh, director of a mental hospital who said that he could lose half of his patients. Half of his patients could go home from this mental institution if they could come to a place of forgiveness of self. And a forgiveness of other people. That it is so intertwined, the bitterness in their heart, toward themselves or toward others, that they could have a total restoration just coming to forgiveness. There's also spiritual consequences to bitterness in our heart. And Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 6. And verses 14 and 15, he said, if you will forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What Jesus was saying is there is a spiritual consequence of a relationship, of a closeness with God. Now, he wasn't talking about uh, whether or not we go to heaven. He wasn't talking about the relationship of father-child. He was talking about the fellowship between us and God. Even though you know Christ as your Savior, you're living perhaps in a bitterness kind of state. And what happens in this moment in your life that God seems so distant. Because God holds us out in arm's length and says until you and I are willing to get it right with the other person, we cannot be right with God. Do you see what Jesus says is the correlation between our relationship with others and our relationship with Him. This is important. This is critical. Whatever you do, do not slough off this issue in your life because this has ramifications for all of us. In a spiritual sense, it's the grieving of the Holy Spirit. It is the quenching of the Holy Spirit in our life. Is it possible in your own life there is an anger in your heart toward an individual? That person comes to mind. When you see the person, immediately there is that feeling that rises up in your heart. There is an unresolved conflict. You got to get a handle on this because Job was right. In Job chapter 18, verse 4, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. And so this morning we want to look at how is it that we get on the other side of this. The key to renewed spiritual power is to imitate God in the way that we forgive. Paul wrote it uh, this way. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be kind and compassionate to one, one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ. God forgave you. According to this passage, the worthiness of a person to be forgiven is not the issue. We're not to forgive based upon the worthiness of a person to be forgiven. We are to forgive because of how much we have been forgiven by God. There is a story found in Matthew chapter 18 that sort of sets the whole tone for this idea. It is a a conversation between Peter and Jesus that then turns into one of the great parables of Jesus. Notice what happens in Matthew chapter 18 verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he said to, to Jesus... How many times should I forgive someone who offends me? Seven times? And Jesus replied to him, no, Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven. And then he says in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts of his servants. Now listen, when Peter comes to Jesus and says, How many times should I forgive? Seven times? Honestly and truthfully, I believe that Peter thought, that Jesus would be overjoyed with the seven, with the number. I think he really was thinking that Jesus would be amazed. "Wow, Peter, look at you, You're really coming along. The reason is because we have, we have writings from first century of, of uh, rabbis in first century who were teaching, uh, when someone offends you the first time, forgive, the second time forgive, the third time forgive, but the fourth time, you're done. It's three times and that's it. So Peter takes the three times, multiplies it by two, adds one for good good measure, and seven times. He is going to be so proud of me when I tell him this. And instead Jesus says, no, you don't understand. Not seven times, 70 times seven. He didn't mean 490 times. And on the 491st time, don't worry about it. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He is saying, Peter, there is never a time. There is never a time you are to stop forgiving someone in your life. There is never a time. Forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. Don't misunderstand the topic we're talking about. We're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. We're talking about forgiveness. And he says there is never a time that we are to ever stop forgiving each other. Law keeps count, but grace does not. And then Jesus gives Peter an illustration. He makes up a parable right there on the spot. What an amazing man Jesus was, is. He's still very much alive. What an amazing person. What an amazing ministry. Jesus said, Peter, there was a king who had servants. And for some of those servants, he lent them money. But a day came that he said, okay, it's time to pay me back. So he contacted his accountant. The accountant called in all the servants that he had lent money to, and they're all standing in front of this king. One of the servants, the king had loaned 10,000 talents to. I looked it up. Two commentaries said 10,000 talents in the time of first century, Jesus' time, is the equivalent of $56 million today. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So one of the servants, the king loaned $56 million to. (sighs) What? And he brings this guy back in and he says, it is time to pay up. And the guy says, I don't have a dime. How is it that a servant could even spend $56 million in first century? Where is, what is he buying? What is he buying out there? I don't even have a dime. And so the king says, okay, then we're going to sell you, every member of your family, and all of your belongings, and at least I'll get as much money back as I can. And the servant falls down on his face and he says, oh, please, just give me a couple of days. I'll rustle up the $56 million. Oh, yeah. Do you see how ridiculous this whole story is? Jesus intended it to be ridiculous. He intended it to be an exaggeration because he's got a big point at the end. There's no way a king would loan a servant $56 million or this guy could spend it or this guy could rustle it up in two days. The guy's on his face. Give me two days, I'll get the money. And then the king does the most ridiculous thing. The king says to the servant, I'll forgive you of all $56 million. What? You don't owe me a thing. Are you serious? I don't owe you anything. Not a thing. The guy jumps up, he's so excited he can hardly stand it. He runs out of the presence of the king. We got to celebrate, Wait till I talk, tell my wife what's going on. We're going out to eat tonight. Oh no, we can't go out to eat tonight. I don't have a dime. But I remember somebody I lent seventeen dollars to. So he goes to another fellow servant. He had lent him $17. I need my $17 back. We're going to go out and celebrate tonight. We're going out to eat. And the guy says, I don't have a penny. What do you mean you don't have a penny? I lent you $17. Give me the $17 back. I don't have anything. I can't believe I lent you $17 and you have no money back. I am going to have you arrested. He has him arrested and thrown into prison until he pays off the $17. Meanwhile, there are people that have gathered around and some have cell phones and they are videoing this whole scene, all the scene. Everywhere we go, people have got these these cameras, you know, they got these cell phones and these guys are, are videoing the whole story and then they upload it to YouTube. And Jesus is explaining all of this and people are saying, I'm totally confused, I don't know what YouTube is. But the king knew and the king watched it. And when the king saw what this servant had done, the king said, you bring that guy back in here. I can't believe it. I forgave you of $56 million, and you couldn't forgive a fellow servant $17. And he punished that servant. Now in this parable... The king is God. And the servant that has been forgiven $56 million is you and me. I wish I had hundreds of mirrors that I could just pass around and all of us could take a good look at the person who owns, who owes God $56 million because it's you and it's me. We owe God $56 million of sins and trespasses in our life, of times in which we were ungrateful to Him, of times in which we disobeyed Him, of times we said, I don't care what God wants, I'll go do my own thing and live the way I want to live, of the times in which we said things we should have never said toward others, of times in which we had attitudes that were so bad So terrible. Such terrible things that we have done over the course of our life. And all of it adds up to $56 million. And there's no way we could ever pay God back. And then... Jesus dies on the cross and pays the penalty for our sin and rises again from the grave and offers to us the gift of eternal life. And by faith, we simply accept Jesus Christ in our heart. And God says to you, I forgive you of all of the things that you've ever done. I forgive you of all the things you've ever done. And of all the things you ever will do, I forgive you of your 56 million dollars. And we stand dumbfounded. How could God be this gracious? How could he be this kind to us? Oh, God, thank you. And then we remember. You know that guy who did $17 worth of damage to me? What he said to me, I'm never going to forgive that. What she did, are you kidding me? How they treated me? Maybe it wasn't $17. Maybe it was $1,017. Maybe it was $117,000. Maybe it was so bad it was $17 million, but it will never get to $56 million. No matter how great it was, it will never total how much you have been forgiven by a good and gracious and forgiving God. So honestly, you're going to say to God, I'm never forgiving that person. Wayne Mesmer was the announcer for several of the pro- professional sports teams in Chicago. He would announce the games and play-by-play play, and he would also at sometimes sing the star-spangled banner at the game. And if he did this for 20 years. You can imagine how talented of a of a person he is. He had just in 1994 sung the Star-Spangled Banner at a Chicago Blackhawks game and then he wasn't announcing that night and so he left the game early, got, went to his car in the parking lot, but there were two thugs in that parking lot and one of them shot him right in the throat. They left him for dead. He didn't die, but they told him that he would never sing again. And if he spoke, it would be a whole different voice. He would never be the same again. But over the course of the next six months, the most amazing thing began to happen. And he began to heal like they had not thought possible. And though he didn't have the same voice, he sang the Star Spangled, Spangled Banner six months later at a sporting event in Chicago to a standing ovation He didn't sound like the old Wayne Mesmer, but he sang Nevertheless. And it was an amazing moment of physical healing. But though he experienced physical healing, he was not well inside and he knew it. He was so filled with anger. He was so filled with bitterness. These two guys got caught. One was set free. He didn't do the shooting, but the guy that did the shooting, that guy was found guilty and he was sent to prison. And Mesmer had a deep hatred in his heart toward that guy. But Wayne Mesmer is a Christian. And he realized, I'm not going to be able to live with myself. I have got to get this thing done. I've got to get this solved. And so he called the warden of the Galesburg Correctional Center, told him the story, and asked for permission to meet personally with James Hampton, who had pulled that trigger. And the warden gave him permission. He drove 225 miles to Galesville Correctional Center. And there in that room with guards there and uh, uh, Hampton there, Mesmer comes in and the opening line that he says is, James, I'm here to see how you are doing. And then for two hours they talk telling each other their lives' story, telling each other where they came from and what has happened in their lives and what happened that night and what has happened since that night. And at the end of the two hours, Mesmer stood up and he reached out his hand and touched the forearm of James and said to him, James, James, I forgive you. And by Mesmer's own words, he said, a release flooded my heart, and I was finally free. And my question is, what about you? When are you going to be free? When are you going to finally lay it down? When are you going to finally be able to see that person and not have those feelings? When are you going to finally forgive? How do you do that when you have been deeply wounded? How do you do it? How do you truly pardon others in your life? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says it this way Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So, how do we do this? Step one is this stop rehearsing the bitterness, stop rehearsing the scene. You see, the problem is is that we cannot feel our way into doing something that is right. We've got to do our way into a change of how we feel. We have to make a decision. We've got to come to the place that we are willing to do what we don't feel. So that our feelings will come in behind what we do. We choose to do the right thing. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31. The verse just before it he says, let all bitterness be put away from you. Let it. He doesn't say feel it. He says make a decision, let it. Let it fall the wayside. The key is to stop feeding the flames. Stop rehearsing the bitterness. Second of all, step two, become realistic about the person who hurt you. What we like to do when someone hurts us and we like to think ourselves into this is such a bad person, such a bad human being and we think of all the terrible things and even if they do good things, somehow we translate it somehow bad. Because this person hurt us and now we don't want to view them in any kind of a balanced way. We only want to see them in a negative light. But the truth is, every human being has good things, and every human being has bad things. And being willing to view this person in a balanced way, why is this so important that I am willing to open up my heart to see good in this person who did such bad to me? Why is that so important? Because it softens our hearts and helps us to see this individual more realistically in a more real light. Third, then make the decision to release your offender. To forgive means to let it go. To let it go. I'm told that a rattlesnake, if it is cornered, will sometimes become so upset it will bite itself. And if I ever encounter a rattlesnake, I want him to bite himself. Don't you? I'm going to be, bite yourself. Get really mad. Bite yourself. Sometimes we become so angry we end up hurting ourselves. And as one quote Put it, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You've got to let this go. So how can you? I can't let it go. I can't let this person off the hook. You can. And let me tell you two reasons why you can. First of all, because God promises that he will deal with that offender in discipline. He's already started. You haven't even seen how he has already started. He's already started dealing with that person's life. You can let it go. God's going to handle this. God is saying to you, I got it. You can let this go. You can hand it to me. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Second of all, you can let it go because God will use this hurt to help you. I know that sometimes that seems ridiculous, but it's true. We've experienced it. Just as God says in Romans 8.28, we know that all in all things, in all things, God works together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. So trust that. It's God making that promise to you. I will use this for good in your life if you'll let me. Let it go. Let it go. Do you want to live a powerful life? Stop rehearsing all the negative. Stop become more realistic about this person let it go and here's the fourth one i know i know how ridiculous this sounds be kind and tender hearted toward the one who injured you but that's what that christian family did to that 20 something year old guy that was a drug addict and terrorized them in india They went all the way to the fourth step, and God used it to turn that man's life totally around. Be kind and tender-hearted toward the one who has injured you. Thirteen-year-old Michael Hirschbeck was out on a major league ball field looking for his best friend and his sort of second dad in his life. And he finally found him. There was Roberto Alomar. Now, if you love Major League Baseball, you will remember the name Roberto Alomar because he was one of the great second basemen of all time. He was the second baseman for the Cleveland Indians. He was a great ball player. He he could hit, he could field, he could run. He was just an amazing player. One day, he was there at the plate, and the umpire called strike three, and he knew it was not a strike. And Alomar became so infuriated, he turned around and he spit on that umpire. I'm going to tell you, he got punished big time by Major League Baseball. But the greater punishment he got was from the inside. The name of the umpire, John Hirschback. After the game was over, Alomar was so ashamed of himself. I've done this in front of thousands of people. And he hunted down John Hirschback, And he came to him and said, as as contrite as you could possibly believe, I can't believe I've done this to you. I am so sorry. I I know you should never forgive me, but I'm asking you, please forgive me. And John Hirschback forgave him. And over the course of the next few years, they became such close friends. And John Hershbeck's son, Michael, began to view Roberto Alomar as his great friend and as his second father. If these two guys could forgive each other, can't we, can't we, Forgive that person and let it go. You need a power that is greater than yours. You need the power of the Holy Spirit of God to be resident in your life. And if you will give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, he will come to live inside of you and give you all the power you need to live power living. And I hope today you'll make that decision. If you've not given your heart to Christ, you will commit your heart by faith to Christ. And there's some of you that are visiting here and there's a sense in your heart, this is my church, and God is giving you that call, come and join this church. I hope you'll make that decision. But for most of us in this room, what God is asking, would you come to a place to finally be willing to let it go? Would you finally be willing to come back to healing and let me bring forgiveness into your heart. Would you do it today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy of being together, of reading your word, of hearing your word, of hearing its truths, of opening our heart to it. And, oh, God, I pray you would move in hearts today to say yes to, to Christ. I'm giving my heart to Christ today. You'd open up hearts as I. this is my church. This is where I want to be. And you would open up hearts today to say, oh, God. Help me to let this go and come to forgiveness and restoration. I pray this in Jesus' name.